Hi, guys. I'm Lance Wakefield, the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. I'm here with a good friend of mine today, Scott Arnold. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Love your office. Thanks, man. We're, so today we dive into uh, a lot of really interesting things. Um, so we're going to go into the current state of the market, uh, what funds are doing and what happened with funds buying and why funds are no longer buying. We're also going to jump into portfolio acquisition a little bit today. Today's a very real estate centric podcast. And um, Scott is very well versed in the business. He's been in it way longer than me. And um, I want you to tell tell people where they can find out more about you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I we kind of talked about this earlier, but I'm not that easily found. I actually don't have a website, which is uh, a little bizarre these days. But uh, um, please find me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Scott Arnold. Um, D-Max Properties is the name of the company. Um we, if you have any questions or anything, you can uh, certainly email me. My uh, email is scott at dmaxp.com, and that's dmaxp.com. Great. Thanks, man. So Scott's very – he's brilliant. He's great at working with uh, funds and other large buyers, and he understands, like, the macro part of real estate really well. So we're going to dive into all that today. I'm excited for you guys to see the show. Did you always want to go into real estate or did real estate happen? How did, how, let's talk about that, the beginnings of this. Yeah, so I actually went to Baylor and I uh, graduated with a psychology degree. Okay. <laughs> so no, is the answer yeah, to the always answer, want to do real estate? Yes, <laughs> the answer is absolutely not. And uh, it sounds a little spoiled, but then my parent, after I graduated with a psychology degree, they're like, we're not paying for any more school. And I'm like, oh, well, I probably wouldn't have majored in psychology <laughs> had I known this was, you know, that that I wasn't, that you weren't going to help me pay for the, the college. next step. Yeah, the next step. <laughs> like you can't just stop there. Yeah. And uh, and so, anyways, uh, when I graduated, I, I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, I'm a big foodie, mm. so I started like cooking in uh, nice restaurants. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Any any good ones around here? Yeah, so I helped open up Zaza. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, uh, Stephen Piles was the consulting head chef at the time, so I got to hang out with him, and he's you know he's a legend. In, yeah. In Dallas, so, that's cool. Um, yeah, did that. Open helped uh, worked at a place called Lola's. Was actually the nicest restaurant. It used to be on Fairmont, where uh, the common table was. Mm-hmm. On and it was fantastic. It was one of those preset menus where. You know, you order, uh, you know, like four entrees. You have to order all four. Yeah. 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 So it's like a course thing where you like yes. you want four courses, six yeah, courses, yes. or do eight courses. You want courses? four or five. That's yeah. the yeah. that's the name of the game. Yeah. It's, it's not do you want one thing. Uh huh. That's cool. So, uh, and it was fantastic. Anyways, um, did that work there? It was way over my head. I uh, actually uh, uh, read Kitchen Confidential, uh, which is uh, Anthony Bourdain's book. And that's how I got inspired to actually get in the kitchen. Um, and it, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but no. I highly recommend it. It's even if you're not going to be in the business or anything, it's, it's very entertaining. That's actually how he got famous from uh, his book, from his book, yeah, that's from cool. his book. That's how he got, that's how he made his next step. It wasn't because of the restaurant. Thing. That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, so I got, you know, did that, enjoyed it, uh, actually got severely burned out, which is very likely. Very typical in restaurants. In, in yeah. restaurants, you're just going so hard mentally and physically. It's, 
it, it just wears you the out. The hours are brutal. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. just, All my not... friends are having a good time at night. Yep. You know, I'm 22, mm-hmm. and they're having a blast at night, and I'm working, and while well, I want to do something today, the they're they're working. So yep. that's a little tough. That is a very tough, tough road to travel. So, um, yeah, I actually uh, then at my at the time, my roommate was actually an appraiser. Interesting. Okay. And I was like, man, I, I want to get into sales. And mm-hmm. he was like, well, why don't you get into real estate? And I'm like, yeah, that's another, not like that. Yeah. Let's, let's start moving in that direction. Um, so kind of kicked around, did some flips. Um, license? Unlicensed? Yeah, I, was, I wound up getting my license okay. in 2003. Okay, so 20 years ago. 20 years, yes. This is <laughs> point <laughs> yeah, that out. Yeah, point <laughs> that, yeah, thank you for uh, making me feel old. Yeah. Um, so, um, did some flips here and there, and then I could kind of like moving kind of fast as far as speeding along in time. I could tell in kind of around 2006, something wasn't good about the, the market. Yeah. And, um, you know, FHA was starting to tighten up the restrictions and I'd kind of, at the time I worked for Keller Williams and I'd ask the old guys like, Hey, have you ever seen FHA tighten the restrictions ever? Mm-hmm. And they're like, we've we've never seen that. And I'm like, oh, okay, there, there's a problem. Yeah, we, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so instead of being by myself flipping homes, I decided to buy a get into uh, a home investors franchise. Mm-hmm. And uh, bought a home investors franchise in 2007. I kind of felt like. I need to be a part of a bigger group to in order to weather whatever was coming. Yeah. And so being by myself, I felt like I would probably just get. Do you feel like that was the right move in hindsight? Yes. Cool. Yes, that was the right move. How do you feel like what's going on and the conditions? I know the conditions today are different than they were back then for like the, oh, something's going wrong. But do you have that same vibe again no, right I, now? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't have it as being, you know, FHA is still the same mm-hmm. as it was. Yeah, it's, I mean. It, like, no one's showing those types of signs. Yeah. Uh, I feel like lending is definitely, uh, like, undisputably, like, lending is safer than it was in 06. Y- yes. Oh, oh, four, 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 five, six, seven. Like, we're doing a better job of lending. I'm just, you know, with the rates where they're at and the values where they're at and the income where it's at, it does feel like we're on wobbly ground a little bit right now. It is more wobbly, but it doesn't feel like eerie mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Well, that's why yeah. I want to know because you were there for the for the last <laughs> yeah. one and right. I wasn't. So right. yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, it it doesn't have the same eeriness, which is um, you know, I just wasn't had I have been a little bit more savvy at that time, I could have like probably, you know, you know done something where I could have raised some money and yeah and, and bought some homes in that time. But I wasn't I, I wasn't there at all. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a lot of opportunity in that time, but it also took a lot of knowledge and a good skill set to leverage that opportunity. It wasn't an easy time to leverage the opportunity because it was very hard to get loans at that time. It was. It was extremely I was borrowing money from my dad, but that was about the gist of it. Mm. So Yeah, it's it's uh it's tough. Uh, it, it was tough then. Like everyone looks at the prices and they're like, "How could you have not made so much money?" But like, banks weren't lending. Yes. Like I, I, so I, 
I got into real estate, bought my first house in either end of 08 or very beginning of 09. It was like right in there. And that's when I kind of started dabbling and it, it was not, that was not an easy time to get loans. Like I tried to buy more and I couldn't get loans. Very hard. Did you, did you buy when it was still sliding down? It was still sliding down, but I bought a property technically like sub two. So I bought Uh-oh. the first one. I see. And so it was a little different, but yeah, I, I didn't have to qualify. And then once I got one, I was like, well, I want to go buy another and I couldn't qualify. I couldn't get a loan. So what, what kind of lending did you try to get at that time? Anything I could, man. I was talking to small banks, big banks, whatever, and I just it was it was very difficult to get yeah. a loan back then. I could have got a hard money loan, but there was but I couldn't hold in cash flow with hard money. Sure. So I was like, uh, if I don't have an exit out of the hard money, I'm not getting into the hard money. Yeah. And I wasn't flipping either. I was just looking to hold rentals back yeah. then. And you need some you need some liquidity. You need some net worth to hold rentals. Yeah, like you, you need do. some money. Like you rentals do. Crap happens, man. Well, <laughs> well, and that was the issue. That, that was my problem. I just didn't have any money. Yeah. Either. I mean, hey, I was, yeah, it's like I was in the same boat. I was 22, 23 in 08, and it was like, I just don't have the cash for this. Well, like, yeah, the, the bank's like, okay, well, show me your assets. I'm like, well, I don't have anything. Yeah, it's like, got this backpack. <laughs> Some sneakers. Uh, yeah, mm. so that, I, I feel you. I was, just, I was exactly the same mm-hmm. way. It was, yeah. it was a to- massive opportunity, but like if that opportunity happened today, Yep, I'm gonna make some money. Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, yes. then it's like, uh, I just wasn't in a position to do it, unfortunately. Well, and that's the thing about, and I know we're kind of uh, heading in this direction as far as our topic, but in certain areas, the floor, the the fund creates the floor mm-hmm. of certain areas that it won't, it will never go beyond a certain point. In fact, I don't believe it will ever go beyond to that point. Yeah. Because the funds will will just stop it. Yeah. They won't allow They'll, it. They to will go buy that. it all. They'll just buy everything in the city. Yeah. If it hits a certain point. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. And so there's the, we we now certain areas might get real weird. So yeah. Yeah. So when working with so first of all, just to preface this, when I I met you in 2015, I think. And I was wholesaling and you're like, Hey man, I'm a buyer. If you have anything in this criteria, I'll take it all. And uh, I got, got to know you and knew that you're buying with from funds and buying for right. funds and working yes. with them. And essentially like hedge funds come in, they want to buy a bunch of property and they would find a guy like you yes. in the market to then help them evaluate the properties. And then were you also helping with rehabs and stuff too, or I was not. So no. you were just in charge of the acquisition. No, I would give them uh leads and referrals to construction mm-hmm. guys, but I wasn't participating in that process at all. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough process. Yeah. Uh, um, pe- people ask me that all the time and they really ask me if I'm involved in the property management mm-hmm. and, uh, I, and I'm not. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, probably also a bonus there. Great bonus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, construction and property management are, are rough, but they're super necessary. Yes. So it's like, yeah, it's necessary evils you got to work with. Not that they're evil, just that oof, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. They're hard to manage. It's interesting. Um, what that funds will actually outsource their property management until a certain point, meaning a certain amount of homes. Yeah. Uh, and you know, let's call it 300 homes. So they'll buy 300 homes in an MSA or uh, a certain market 
And then once that gets to that level, then they'll actually take it in-house. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Makes sense. Because it's to a point where it actually could make money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that makes sense. I, yeah. I remember when I started, I was told that that line for like sole operators like myself is around 100 doors. Okay. When you get to about 100, it makes sense to hire someone full-time. And with what you'd be paying property management, you can pay the person full-time. Yeah, you just pay yeah. the person. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So in working with these funds and things, they didn't, they funds existed obviously during the 2008 crash, but they weren't buying SFR or single family homes. Right. That's correct. So yeah. what changed? Yeah. So, um, so in 2012 was the first sign, um, America homes for rent. Um, you know, you had, uh, you know, invitation homes, um, progress was actually starting to make moves at that time. Um, you know, Warren Buffett came out and said in this time period, if you could figure out the property management side of this, you should, this should be happening. Yeah. And so I don't know if he had already heard that that was happening or if they, that sparked it Mm -hmm. um but they all started forming in 2012 and it was just the price of the homes were just too low and at that time you could tell that it the market was starting to recover yeah yeah 2000 so i moved here in 2015 the beginning of 2015 and that's when we're they were like bidding wars were starting back up and things were starting to move again yeah and so uh, but it, prices were still super cheap comparatively. Like comparative ho- homes, I remember looking at homes in McKinney, and they were like four thousand square foot homes, and they were three hundred thousand dollars. Yes, so, and, in McKinney, and now yeah. that same home is six seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, like doubled the price in eight years. Yes. So, um, so, so we yeah. So in two thousand, is interesting. About two thousand twelve, we we actually represented a hedge fund called Six Four Three Capital. Okay. And, um, so we worked with them, um, for two or three years and bought, we were buying a hundred homes a month with them. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Going, going, hard just going fast. to town and, and keep in mind at that time, that process was, that's, it was extremely stressful where, where figuring are you out so- how to make that process work. Yeah. So were you sourcing yeah. these off the MLS? Entire- Most of them. I didn't really have a lot of time to dig too much in the off market that actually wound up came in, coming into fruition a little bit later when it wasn't just, well, at the time, every house on the MLS worked Yeah, with the, with the, the cap rate. And then if you needed to go a secondary source of homes, you had the banks, right? So you had the banks and the MLS yes. to just flow you with inventory. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, I talked to guys that I worked with back then. He's like, why didn't we just literally buy everything on the MLS back yeah. then? And I remember when he was like, we used to argue, you and I, on the phone late at night about 1000 or $2,000. Looking back, that's a ridiculous conversation. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was crazy, man. But, uh, yeah, those homes, if you look at it, because, you know, we I see those homes in uh, – and see that they're still on it and just check they've uh they've tripled 
and sometimes quadrupled in, in, when we bought those homes. So to this in day. a decade of time or yes. so, yes. 4X. Yes. That's healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't feel sorry for these uh, large bars. No. Any. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, there's like some of the big boys that swooped in, got freaking kicked in the balls and pushed right back out like Zillow. I mean, Zillow's not buying anymore. No. Like they got, they lost a lot of money. Yeah. But they just came in really late in the game. I mean, they started they, buying in like, what, 2020 or something like that? 2019, 2020? They They're did. at the end. They did. Yeah. They, these they, guys who were buying back when you're talking about, they made money. They made, no, for sure. It's funny because 643 Capital around 2014 or 15 was kind of like, you know what? The prices are too high. Yeah. And then, uh, then, I kind of shifted my business to another client, uh, which was Progress Residential. Mm -hmm. uh, and I represented them from 2015 to 2021. And I had to check the numbers, but I believe they're the largest homeowner in the nation now. Wow. And they weren't at all for a while. It was Invitation and America Homes for Rent. Yeah, those are the two big ones. Yeah. But I think they've actually... I need to look at that, but I think they actually have surpassed them, which Crazy. is interesting. Yeah. But they've been the invitation and America Homes Rent also stopped in 2015. So they've been the tortoise that's really won the race. They, I mean, yeah. but they picked up again at some point, right? Yeah, they did. Okay. Yeah. So now I don't know when they both jumped in, but they were out for multiple years before they re jumped yeah. in. And so they've probably been in now the market. Uh, both in you know last three years. I I don't know. Actually, I don't believe America Homes for Rent is even uh, buying one at a time right now. They'll only buy packages. Y yeah, or they're starting to get heavy into build the rent. Oh yeah, lots of yeah. lots of players are getting heavy into yeah. that, which makes sense. Like I yeah. get why guys are doing that at this point yeah. where costs are now. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting because I remember back in 2015 and 16 was I was getting into the industry. I was hearing from people who had more experience in the industry than me that like, hey, be careful, like we're we're near the peak and stuff. And and I mean, that's when home values were way less than half of what they are now. Yes. And so it's like uh, it's it's interesting just because it's like I, I think that that crash in 08 was so fresh in their minds that yeah. there's just you know fear still lingering from yeah. that. We're gonna have another one of those. Um and I and I've we've it's done this, but it's been going up. You know, it's dipped and up, but I haven't seen anything that resembles what I would consider to be a crash. Yeah. It's funny because in 2000, uh, kind of probably like 16, I was with Keller Williams at the time. And uh, we would go to what was called family reunion. Family reunion is kind of where everyone comes together and, you know, talks about the market. And anyway, Gary Keller was like, oh, you, you need to tighten up your expenses. Uh, this is it. In 2016. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, Gary Carolyn has uh, multiple avenues of getting information. Mm -hmm. um, but he was like, hey, I need I need everybody to tighten up their expenses because he was like this. It's going to fall off like real yeah. soon. Yeah. And then and then just nothing happened. Yep. yep. <laughs> so it was it was, uh, it was uh, very bizarre that how everybody has been anticipating the down for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. it is. I've I've been hearing this year a lot of people are saying 2024 is going to be that. A lot of people are telling – I've been hearing that. I'm not saying that that's true at all. I'm just saying I've been hearing that, and it's like – be interesting to see what happens next year. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, 
you know, I go to a single family rental conference uh, every twice a year, and a broker uh, that is in the same niche I am uh, in Florida was like, his whole motto is uh, survive the 25. I've heard that. I've heard that <laughs> phrase before too. Yeah. Survive to 25. Yeah. You can make it through the next. I'm, I'm like, are you saying that because you believe it or because it rhymes? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the next 15 months, something's going to happen. I don't know. We'll see. So, um, and I was like, okay, you know, you're just about like, you know, hunkering down and, and, you know, waiting for the. So to, let's play a game for a second. Let's yeah. pretend, let's pretend that 24 is rough prices, prices drop, lending tightens. Right now, you're acquisitioning for for funds. What's your play? What do you yeah. do? What are you going to shift? Yeah, so right now, we're not doing a whole bunch of acquisitions right now, currently. Um, so one of two things needs to happen. Either the interest rate needs to go down, So because uh, the misconception is that funds have their own cash, um, which uh, some do, but most are trying to leverage that cash into getting more that's i mean it's real estate it yeah, makes sense estate. to yeah, get loans yeah, to do that yeah. yeah so anyway so uh it the interest rate severely impacts uh their cash flow which is why they stopped buying yeah, in june of 2022 correct so um so either that goes down or the prices go down so w- one of those two things has to give in order to start buying again yeah so what i've been doing uh in the last uh since the beginning of this year is we're doing dispositions for the funds so you know whether it be selling some homes that are like it's a little bit too competitive in that neighborhood for rentals or um maybe I don't know the variety of reasons why they want to sell some of them. Well, yeah. So I have several, I have over a hundred homes. And one thing I've noticed is uh, there's these ebbs and flows that go on in the rental market. And it's like every single one of them at purchase cash flowed, but some of them, they, I, I cannot attract the same rent I was getting before. in. some of them have, you know, just different things have happened where Maybe one of them got locked into a certain loan or different things happened where it's like, well, all of these worked, but I really need to sell these four. You know, and it's, a, it's, I'm, you know, it's four, three or 4% of the portfolio. Sure, sure. But it's, it's like, yeah. it's nothing major, but it's like, oh, I need to sell these. And then you look at it again in six months and it's like, okay, this is all working, except now these two aren't working. So I should sell these and I got a bunch of equity. I can use that equity. I could buy three or four more yes. with that equity. And so it just makes sense to make those moves sometimes and, Especially when the market's doing what it's doing right now, it's it, we still have great pricing, yeah. Uh, but cash flow is missing on a lot of rentals, and right now I struggle to find a rental, a single family rental that can cash flow. Like yeah. If I buy something yes. with current oh, yes. rates, it's like yes, correct. you have to get such a stupid good deal that it's like, well, I could keep this as a rental, but I could also make like probably a a fifty to fifty thousand to hundred thousand dollar rip right now, yes. And renting that will take years to right. get that same amount of money, so I'll just take the money right now. Yeah. To your point of that is, you know, and so these funds, you know, typically the way they would trade their, you know, homes would be to another fund, Mm -hmm. you know, based on the cap rate. Yeah. Well, right now, because the, you know, uh, the cap rate is very unfavorable to the seller, um, 
they're saying, hey, look, we're going to pull this tenant out and bring it to the uh, regular market and get an end buyer. Yep. And so what and to your point, it's if that's about a fifty thousand dollar difference from trading it at the current cap rate mm-hmm. to then taking that in buyer yep. all the way through closing is about a fifty thousand dollar difference. So mm-hmm. that's why that's happening right now. Yeah. Times that out by a few hundred and <laughs> that starts looking like a good number, man. Right. So that's that's kind of that's that's kind of the market right now. And now that the funds actually have the machine to now sell, just like in buying, the, I think they will always just be selling a little bit. Like to your yeah. point of like, well, these aren't quite as good as they used to be. Why don't I just buy it and then go buy something else? Yeah, yeah. I've also heard people talking a lot about um, ROE, return on equity, where it's like you get these, you know, you get a great deal on something and you rent it for a time. It's also nice to get past that two-year mark where you're going from a long or short-term capital gain yes. to a long-term capital yes. gain, and you get past that mark, and then it's like, well, you know, this equity, like I'm, I'm, I'm cash flowing, but I have all this equity here, and if I sold this property, that equity could get me five more units. Yes. The issue right now is I can't cash flow those five units. Right. So you end up with cash. <laughs> and so it's like, well, that's not great either because yeah. we got high inflation going on, so it's like cash isn't. So it's, there, there's these different kind of unique problems that exist in the market right now that I don't think will be there in the near future, but they are today. So, right. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, that's, that's a good point. It's, there's just some kind of problem, no matter how you yeah. dice it up. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, my answer to that question is like, I've looked at a few different things as far as what do I do if the market really dips hard? The biggest factor for me is what are rents doing? Because if rents dip hard with prices, right, then it's like, oh, my portfolio could be in, in jeopardy. Yes. And that's that's kind of like I would say my my worst case scenario. It is. However, we have a huge shortage of housing in the greater North Texas area. Yes. So I think it's difficult for rents to take a tremendous dip. Right. Most of my properties are also C and B class properties, which in the event of a dip, I see them dipping less than a higher end property. Like I feel like less people are renting a five thousand dollar a month rental. Yes, uh, but you still need your most of my rents are probably average rents, probably about fifteen hundred dollars a door. Right, where it's like, eh, that's we're not the bottom bottom. There's a there's a lo- little bit below us on the floor. There's another step down, but there's only one step from where right. I'm at. So it's like I feel like it's going to get impacted less. But as long as that holds together. Um, you know, I've been looking at making sure I can understand well enough, be able to do short sales right. if that comes back. Um, I've heard that foreclosures are going up pretty high in, in Las Vegas again, which is concerning. You know, that's some of what was happening back in that, – that was like a canary in the coal mine back in 08, Vegas, because it's where people go with when they have discretionary income. Right. And yeah. if people aren't going there, then work slows down. People stop making payments on homes. Foreclosures happen. Right. And if that's happening there again right now, it's like, well, is it a canary dying in the coal mine or is it just, you know, a shift in the market that people weren't looking for and everything's going to recover? I don't know at the moment. Yeah. That, it, that's where I heard the survive the 25 phrase <laughs> from a Vegas dude. <laughs> oh, was yeah, it really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I didn't realize that about Vegas, but it doesn't surprise me because 
in 08 or 09. It was a it was a city that was hit really hard. Super hard. Yes. I so, think I, what, what was I mean, I know there, Phoenix, yes. some of Southern California and Florida were kind of the worst hit yes. areas. Of course, Texas was the least. Texas was least, yeah. Yes, so, which, which I'm very proud. Yeah, hoping hoping to ride through that <laughs> that again. Yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely the least appreciation hit, mm-hmm. or de- sorry, depreciation hit. Yeah, yeah, for yep. sure. Which I'm always very proud of when I talk to other people from other states. Yeah, I mean, the, I I really, I mean, first of all, I feel like uh, U.S. is probably a layer of insulation from the global economy because we just have a layer of safety that doesn't not exist other places. Those are very safe places or safer than America in the world. But because the dollar is kind of the standard currency, that offers a layer of insulation to the rest of the global economy. And I feel like Texas has a secondary layer of insulation because we're, we're so like our economy is so robust and there's so much movement here and so much growth here and so many businesses coming here that we have another layer of insulation from the rest of America Yes. Then I'd like to think North Texas has like another layer of insulation because we're not heavily oil reliant. We're not heavily tech reliant. We're a very diversified economy that has tremendous growth and, you know, billions and billions of dollars already committed to growing business here. Yes. And so in my mind, it's like, okay, well, if there's jobs and jobs that will survive a downturn, I'm hoping we're we're safe. Yeah. It'll be interesting to know in five years if I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, the, the funds always liked DFW over Houston for the reasons that you just mentioned mm-hmm. was because the uh, jobs were so diverse. Um, like you said, uh, you know, it's not just oil and tech, you know, you got healthcare, finance, yeah, insurance, uh, manufacturing, like yeah, yeah, yes. we got so much. It stuff just here. just keeps on going. Where you know Houston is very heavy on oil, um, and they they do have a strong healthcare, but it gets a little thinner mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if oil gets weird, that that city struggles. Yep. Um, also, they are they are more susceptible to weather. Yes. Like, oh, like flooding natural and natural disaster, <laughs> yeah. like they get hit more than we do, and that's another layer of insulation. Like we have tornadoes here, yes, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, tornado and yeah. hail. Yeah, but hail usually is not going to and freezing freezes have happened here and caused some major damage as well. But those things are typically, I'd say, I feel like they're a little bit more controllable. Like tornado, not so much, but that's that's not going to affect. Like you, there's two million rooftops in DFW max. You're affecting like ten thousand from yes. a tornado. And the, versus a hurricane could infect all two million. Yes. We, we can't get a hurricane, right? So I totally agree. Even, <clears throat> even the amount of homes on the tornado you just mentioned—that that'd be a hell of a tornado. Hell of a tornado. Like, <laughs> yeah, the big one that came <laughs> yeah. through in nineteen—it mm-hmm. got my house, and <laughs> that one I think affected a thousand structures. And that was a pretty. That was big a big one. tornado yeah. right through the middle of Dallas. Right. Like it did. It was. This wasn't in like uh, some. This was in Dallas right. in a very like habit. Like it hit George Bush's neighborhood. Like yes, this was yes. where this is where people live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. this is where it was like a very populated area, and it was like a thousand homes were impacted or something like that. It might have made two thousand. Check uh, me, but it was not many. I would be surprised if we have another one that was really more than that. That was that was a pretty large. Yeah. So yeah. for us, it's really ice storms is where we're yes. going to see. Yeah. That's <laughs> the highest risk is if we have. Yeah. Another snowpocalypse. That yeah. was probably one of the worst natural disasters we've seen up here in a minute. Which is just so bizarre. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, but it created tremendous opportunity, too, because it did. sellers yeah. were able to get the insurance check and our check. 
and walk away. Yes. You know, and that's that can work out really well for sellers. Yeah, it can. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting time for sure. It is. Um, and trying to pivot and and make everything come together is very interesting. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens yeah. next year, especially because we have the we have commercial real estate which has its own weaknesses at the moment with office and bridge loans and all that going on. Right. And then we have the single family market, which is different. They are there are certain ties, especially from a banking standpoint, and so it's it's going to be interesting to see if like commercial, if like let's just say commercial gets hit considerably harder, if that drags residential down with it to a point, yeah, or vice versa, you know, residential gets hit harder and it drags commercial down. I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting when you when I'm when I think about the benefits of investing of commercial versus single family rental. I, what I love about single family rental is the the risk to me is is so much lower than commercial, and the reason is is because the exit strategy, as we kind of talked about before, are can vary. Yeah. So where commercials traded at a uh, cap rate only, mm-hmm. that you could have a portfolio that you could trade to the market like people are doing right now to end buyers. And so when you have that, it just, I don't know. It just seems like so safe at the end. It's like, okay, I have these two strategies I can do. Mm -hmm. I don't need the cap rate to dictate how much money I make necessarily. Yeah. Which is, you know, commercial does not have anything remotely like that. Yes. Yeah. So one of my philosophies in, in buying single family is like the more exits I have, the more sure I am. I want to do the deal. Yes. Like if I can wholesale it, flip it or rent it, I've never, I, 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 I don't think I've ever, but I'm almost positive. I've never lost my, anything that has the, all three exits. Yes. Yes. Once, once I narrow those exits down to two or, or one, the one exit ones you can make a lot of money on, but there's also the most risk. Yes. Um, and so, uh, I agree with you completely. Like my, your ability to sell the single family is you can sell it in a, a group to investors. You can sell it individually to end buyers. And if things were particularly rough, um, and I think a lot of that roughness will come from a lending perspective rather than a supply and demand perspective, at least in our market. Yes. Um, I can always sell or finance the properties too. True. Because there's that, uh, if it really came down to it and I wasn't able to cash flow them as a, as a rental, I would be able to cash flow them through seller financing them. Yes. So it's like I've, you've got three solid exits with with these properties versus like an apartment complex you were to own. It's it's going to trade to another investor at, at at that cap rate, yeah. and that, that's the only way to sell it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear you. That's it. I agree with you. Yeah. That's, and I you know I, I, I just it's you know single family rentals. I don't. It will always just be my direction, and mm-hmm. I, you know whether it, just because of that reason. Yeah, I mean it's too. There just isn't a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. So I I agree. Like if you know how to buy and how to buy right, it, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> right. It's a pretty straightforward <laughs> game. Like yeah. once you know how to do that, yeah. you're good. Well, you and I talked on the phone, and you're like, it's it's hard, but it's not that hard mm-hmm. to do single family rentals. Yeah. It's 
it, it, there, it, what's interesting is how the problems change for me over time. It's like the problems bef- that I had before is like, well, how do I get a loan for a property? Like that was a, just, that was a struggle. Sure. Then I got good at that. And I was like, okay, here's what the banks want to see. So here's what I'm going to give them. And then I got all the money I needed to buy property. And now it's like, well, how do I manage a hundred of these at once effectively? Like keep them all. And the problems shift, you know, and it's yes. like, okay, I know how to get the loans now, but all of a sudden I have all this property and I got to manage it well and like take good care of it long term. And there's just these problems that I haven't experienced before that I'm like, okay, now I got to learn how to do this part of the thing. Right. And, uh, but as, as you, as you overcome those, then right now there's so much technology around it too. Like I feel like 10 years ago, when you had a large portfolio, it was so different than it is now. Like there's so many good tools and, and options now that didn't exist right. 10 years ago or five years ago. And so there's, I think it's getting easier. And I think that's part of what's leading hedge funds into the space is there's this scalability that w- couldn't be seen before, particularly in build to rent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I know you know this cause we've talked about it, but it, it's interesting to see these funds will build a portfolio, take in property management, and then actually sell their property management to individual investors. Hmm. Smart. Yeah. So yeah. they sell the property management company, like shares in it, or? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, sell the, the service. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. To individual investors. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just like Roofstock's doing right now with Streetline. Right. So Streetlane, I've always managed my own properties, and now Streetlane manages my properties. Right. So we're going to see how that goes. Well, yeah, it's, you know, and because they they have, you know, call it five other homes mm-hmm. in the subdivisions mm-hmm. that you have homes. So yeah. it's kind of like, well, they are there. It makes sense mm-hmm. that they can handle it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're already sitting there with a van, uh, you know, at some point in this week to, to handle the property management. So, yeah. Um, it's interesting. That has become uh, very popular in the last, you know, call it four or five years of like selling that service mm-hmm. to s- small guys like ourselves. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, I feel like there's been these pockets of the real estate market and it's like uh, self storage is one of them that mostly mom and pop owned, right? And now it's starting to consolidate. Single family is another one. It's mostly mom and pop owned yeah. and it's, it's consolidations beginning. Um, mobile home parks is another one. Um, even like small multifamily, like smaller multifamily, like that's that's getting squeezed from both ends where funds are moving in tighter and to more more and more small small apartment complexes and more and more areas of the market, funds are finding their way into it. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's stopping. Yeah. I think that's going to continue. There's too many tax advantages, too many... Uh, too easy to get leverage on it. There's too many good things about real estate that I think the funds are just going to keep getting better as technology gets better. They're going to keep finding their way further into every class and every sector of real estate. Yeah, I agree. It's funny when I first started this in 2012, um, it was understood by all funds across the board and anybody in this niche is like, Hey, this is a five-year plan. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, you're, you know, you're going to need to find a different niche at the end of five years. At the end of five years, because it's just not going to be here. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Five years rolls <laughs> around. Mm-hmm. I'm like, doesn't seem like anybody's letting up. Yeah. It's, you know, like the cash flow is too good mm-hmm. to let it go. Mm-hmm. And so um, clearly that never 
nope. happen. But it was that was not up in the air. That was everybody's like, yep, let's go. This is for five years, and that's it, and we'll just pack our bags, and everybody goes home. And that is definitely not no. what it, I mean, it went yeah. twice that long. Pencils went down, I guess, in 2022, more or less, for most most groups. Right. So they ended up rolling it through another five, and I don't mm. think they're done. I think they're they're take they're they're sitting on the bench on the side for a few minutes. They're gonna wait and see what happens and then they'll jump back in when the timing's right. Yes. Yes. I don't this is to me unless you know, they're it's it's never gonna end. This no. is the machine the the key is the mach, the hardest part is building the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, putting the, the right brokers, the right construction team, the right property management, getting all that together. It's just now a switch. Mm-hmm. for them it's not and that kind of is goes to my point about dispositions initially it's a lot of heavy lifting off the bat to sell these homes in bulk to the market mm-hmm. but now that the machine is going as i mentioned before i think the funds will always just be leaking homes into the market yeah so, so anyways it's very interesting as uh as i've seen the funds get better and better at it i've noticed that um, I've noticed the funds, and this isn't any particular fund, but I've noticed where um, they get a lot of property in a given area and they sell some to create, what, and I'm guessing what they're doing, but they'll they'll sell some to at, at a high value to push up the value of the other homes they own in the area because it's they're they're valued by comparables. Yeah. So it's like, hey, we need to push these values up. We'll sell these ones to push the values, and then we own these other ones, and they can almost control the market. It's very interesting. They do. What I've seen them do in different areas where I'm like, that's smart. Yeah, that is. <laughs> when you own thousands of homes, you can do that. Yeah, they're for sure doing that. And and they also know that they have to leak the homes in a very consistent, slow way, or they're going to flood their own market. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you they can't just, sell them all at once. If they were, if the funds started releasing, you know, even just one of the larger ones, it would flood certain markets and tank their own. They would like profit. it's like yeah. what is that self cannibalization or something yeah. like that? I don't know. It's like you're, you're, I don't know you're what you call that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you yeah. would literally be killing yourself. Well, that's crazy. Well, I never that's, thought about that. Yeah, and and that's why. That's why this machine of dispositions will always exist because it just needs to be a steady stream. It, yeah. And that's why that will always You happen. open that floodgate too much and yeah. kill everything. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, the largest homeowner doesn't have another buyer because it's just the amount is too high. Mm-hmm. Like it's, to purchase that is billions of dollars. I They... That's, I don't, I don't know if that buyer exists. So yeah. like American homes for rent, everybody knows them. They're public, they're public REIT. How many homes they own? Isn't it like 60,000 or something like that? I, I think it is. Like, it is. Yeah. But when you think about that, I mean, that's still, I mean, how many homes do you think are on the market in DFW right now? We have 2 million rooftops. There's what, maybe 15, 20,000 homes on the market in DFW. Yeah. That like sounds some, about right. Somewhere around yeah, there. So yeah. when you think about that, those sheer numbers, it's like that's, they own, tri- I know it's not in this one market, it's nationwide, but they own triple the amount of homes that are on the market right now. Yeah. Not in this market, but just I'm using our market as an example. Yeah. You think about that and it's like, that's a lot of homes. Yeah. It's that's a probably, amount of property. for the most part, that's probably split over about 
Oh, it's split over dozens of markets. Twelve or yeah, something. Yeah, I know that yeah. they're like yeah. I know that they're in a lot of markets. But but so. still, that's still I mean it's still tremendous. I mean in, in our market, they've got to own I don't know, I'd guess a few thousand homes. I know that they own four or five thousand at least in DFW. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You think about that, it's twenty five percent of the market that's on the market right now. They own it. Yeah. So they flood that. Yeah. You increase the you increase the supply by twenty five percent. Yes. Exactly oh, what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, just absolutely tank. Tank the market. Tank the market. It's uh, kind of scary. <laughs> because it is all the same price point for the most part. Yeah, you're right. Two hundred thousand to four hundred. Yeah. So it you know, you're hitting a specific market. It's not spread out through No, it's not. You know, yeah. A lot of price points. So that's that's where I own all my stuff too. So they could single handedly destroy me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh good. Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So um let's go back to your story a little bit here. So you're uh you get into this, you you find these uh funds you start working with in two thousand twelve, things are going, you're doing well, and you're buying mostly MLS through twenty sixteen or so. Yeah. Twenty sixteen comes and MLS inventory I'm not going to say dries up, but it, does, it dries up. It thins out. There's not a lot on the MLS that you can pick up anymore. It, so what? how did you shift? What it, changed to keep that flow of homes going into these funds? Yeah, so um, in 2015, I was like, okay, well, I need another client. So, you know, most of the guys had stopped because, you know, uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, they thought the prices at the time were too high. And... Uh, and so I actually went to Progress, and uh, at the time they had the previous year. I think they bought three homes off market um, in 2014, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, "Look," and at but that point I started to really figure out how to uh, go out and get off market properties. It might not have been direct to the seller but uh, you know agents wholesalers yeah you know, we had been buying for three or four years and build a lot of relationships mm-hmm. and so <clears throat> progress was like well we don't need help on the mls and and uh but i'll tell you what you kick ass on the off market for us and we'll we'll talk about getting you on the mls so that's exactly what happened um and then and yeah god we that first year we probably bought a hundred with them off market. And so when you're yeah. buying these off market, it's, yeah. it's wholesalers and agents. And agents. agents. Those, those two sources are bringing you these deals. Yeah. I like, I, as a company, we produce, we don't go directly to the homeowner. I like things that are like sales channels, meaning like a particular relationship can give us multiple homes. Yeah. And so I try to pour into that relationship uh, because I know that the, uh, you know, that this is going to be one a month or two a month or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And uh, yeah, that that model's worked uh, very well for us. So do you prefer wholesalers that are like, I feel like there's kind of three versions of wholesalers. There's that that dude who does it on his own, right? There's that single kind of avatar there's shops. There's shops that have, you know, f- handful of acquisition managers, and they're running, you know, 
10 deals a month, 100 deals a year kind of a shop. And then there's like the the other shops, I would say, like the big shops would be like a Net Worth, New Western, maybe a Myers, like those types of groups. Where, where, which, which of those categories do you tend to focus in? More? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, we highly prefer the individual guy that's out there. Mm. They might not get the volume as the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they have an idea of what they're doing, they would have it at the best price. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, most yeah. of what I see that comes from New Western Net Worth is, is deals from those guys that they can't dispo or MLS deals. That, that's most of what I see yeah. come from them. Now, there's exceptions to that. They, yeah. they, they do find their own deals, and sometimes they're actually pretty good deals. But I would agree with you that the pricing overall on those deals from the, from the large shops is cost, I mean, I don't want to say prohibitive, but almost. Yeah. Typically, typically, you can't cash flow or make money on a flip with deals from those larger shops. Yeah. For a sophisticated, like, like, hey, if I was in there swinging the hammer myself, could I make money? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But I'm also swinging the hammer myself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah, great. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah um, you're right. I think New Western. I, I think you said this, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think you said that a lot of New Westerns deals are from smaller hosts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Which is funny because our model for a long time was we need to go find those wholesalers who sell in Western because we can make them a lot more money. Yeah. And yep. so that was like, okay, where are those guys? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how we were. And yeah. so what's yeah. difficult about that? Cause I've yeah. thought the same thing. It's like, how do I get those guys to bring me their deals? Cause I can flip <laughs> it. But it's right. like, there, there's not like a, it's not somewhere you can go to find them. It's, it's not like there's the, the, this is where they hang out. It's right. they're everywhere. And um, I mean, the best way to probably get to them is, I mean, basically marketing to them, like, you know what I mean? Like through social media marketing or whatever that you're going to do to find them. It's like, you've got to do your own marketing to track them down. But I agree with you. That's part of building the machine you were talking about earlier. And once those relationships are built and established, then it gets very easy. Yes. Yes. So it's, it's, it's work to get there, but once it's there, man. Yeah. To New Western's credit, you know, they, they spend a lot of time on trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah. It didn't just fall in their lap. No, they are very good at uh, – so they're very good at two things. They're very good at finding that wholesaler, and they're very good at finding that that individual who's – and I'm just going to – I'm going to make up an avatar here, but like – that guy who's making, you know, two to five hundred thousand dollars a year. He's got a he's got a wife at home who watches HGTV, and she's right. like, "I want to flip a house." Right. And uh, they go out, and they they're very good at finding that end buyer and matching that wholesaler who can't dispo the deal. They bring that buyer and they bring that wholesaler together, right. and they make that spread in the middle. And that's what that's what they're very good at. Yeah, they are. They're they are very, very good, good at finding those two yeah. kind of those two people that don't know where to go. Right. But they, yes. they, they have something the other wants. <laughs> right. And um, they're very good at, at, at finding them. And mar- how they market to them and everything is very, very well done. I will give them yes. absolute credit for yes, that. Yes, absolutely. You're right. That, <clears throat> I've never heard it broken down quite like that, but that was, uh, that was exactly what it is. Oh, great. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that yeah. uh, my, my opinion's not just uh, yeah. my opinion. I, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like that's pretty much what they do, and they do it extremely well. Yeah. To their credit. Yeah. That's, People will say what they'll say about them, but yeah, 
they're about the biggest shop in the nation the, from a wholesaling off-market property perspective. I, I can't think of anybody larger than I, New Western. Absolutely. That's, I mean, so they've, they're doing something right. There's something that's happening. Yes. Yeah, so. they, they do a good job. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I've been the same position. I've kind of been in that. I've been that mid-shop for a long time. That you know, We talked about the individual guy and that, that net, net worth New Western size. And there's that mid shop. I've been that mid shop for a very long time now. Yeah, and I like this space because I I can do a lot of things. But at the same time, I've also been very interested in what you do because I I see that that ability to raise money or bring funds in opens a lot of doors. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of uh, opportunity in something like that. Yeah, typically they you know they're going to pay the highest price. Yeah, I mean they can for, for well because they can. Yeah, um, and so that's you know. That's a great start. <laughs> yeah, to, to doing a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a great start. Yeah, a, and there, typically there is no ending to the amount of deals that you mm-hmm. can actually bring. Either. Yeah, yeah. From what I experienced working with hedge funds, little I have, it's basically like, hey, we'll take as many as you can bring that fit this criteria. Right. So if you find the right. you find the deal that fits this box of this size this year build, this type of foundation or garage count or bedroom count or whatever, they give you that box. I mean, they have money to go as far as you can. Right. How many of those can you find? Right. We will buy them all. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my true. Experience. There's never, I've never s- seen them say, hey, that, that portfolio is just a little too big. Oh, yeah. Never. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a thing. Yeah. Now it may not fit the criteria. That's so a different story. I, I was going to ask about yeah. that. So let's say let's say uh, the criteria is three two brick, um, and this is a typical criteria for for hedge funds in DFW, three two brick two car garage with a slab foundation. Let's say that and nineteen fifty or newer. Yep. Let's say let's say that is the criteria, and then let's say you find portfolio from Mister Seller that he owns a hundred houses, and let's say for easy numbers, fifty of them nail what you're looking for and price works right the other 50 price works but uh, maybe they're they're wood-sided or they're pure and beam foundation or there there is one piece that does not fit price works but the other pieces don't but the seller will only sell if you buy all 100 <laughs> what does the hedge fund do uh, um so most funds uh kind of do a rule of We'll buy the entire portfolio if it's eighty percent of the criteria. Okay. So now okay. in that scenario, it was not was not. But if it, it was eighty yeah. of the homes were that, they would go. They would go. What would they yeah. do with the other twenty? Dispo them. I think they would. I mean, that's it, what I would. Do. It depends on the fund. Is it they're they're releasing them somehow, which is probably another buyer. Mm-hmm. They'll close on it. Yeah. And then figure out who the other buyer is later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially would, if they're tenant occupied, it's like, hey, like that buys you some time, right? If you close on it, it doesn't fit the buy box. Sure. But they're tenant occupied, and let's say it takes you six months to get rid of them. Well, hopefully you make money when you sell, and hopefully you're not negative. You shouldn't be if you're underwriting it, right? Negative cash flowing while during right. that six month time. So right. it should end up being a win. Right. For that, them eventually. Well, that's a good point. When, because they're not vacant, there's not like a gun to their head. No, it's not like, <laughs> yeah. this house doesn't have brick siding. Yeah. If you don't sell it, you're gonna the whole fund's going to collapse. It's not that. It's yeah, just, because you said price was good, which means cash flow is good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they're they they've got time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the reason I ask is because, like, I mean, that strategy is it goes back. I mean, that's like an oldest time strategy, man. That's like a buy by the case, sell by the bottle strategy. You know, right. instead of buying a case of sodas, you're just buying a case of homes. Right. And then you just sell them out individually. You bought them in bulk yeah. at that discount and sell them individually. And I've done that a few times. And man, I've made freaking cheddar doing that. You're doing that's doing been that very, yeah, very, in your, very in your successful. Tish, your, your, the, the plan was always to sell all or were you going to keep some? Man, so I've been mm. dabbling in like the portfolio acquisition space for six or seven years now. Okay. Where what happens is, you know, we're doing tremendous amount of marketing to sellers and there's sellers who reach it, reach back out to us. They're like, hey, I got this property I want to sell, but I also have all these others I want to sell with it. Like right now we're talking to a guy who has 14, 14 homes and he's like, yeah, I want to sell them all. And this, I mean, at any given time, I have two, three, four of these people we're talking to. There's another person right now we're talking to that has six. And it's like, you know, these are smaller um, landlords. Yeah, and nice. uh, what, what, what they run into is a, is a small to mid-sized landlord. So I'm going to say a small landlord is five properties. Okay. Mid-size is up to, say, 50. So okay. five to 50 portfolio owner. The problem that they hit up against is they get to retirement age. So let's just say they're 60 years old. They're like, I don't want to do this anymore. However, you have, let's say, 30 homes that, that you own that are all cash flowing and doing well, and you want to get out. Well, what are your options? Because we were talking about this earlier. What are our options? And those options create value and um, create safety in the market. And so they, one option that they have is to sell them all to an investor as they are right now, occupied, at a cap rate. But usually these sellers are not that sophisticated. So they're usually selling them just like at a, you know, here, this is what I want to get. This is what tax says. That, that, that's usually the level of sophistication that you're dealing with. Yeah. So they're looking at it from that perspective and they sell all to an investor. That's one option. And that's an option they all tend to like, especially if they bought these properties a while ago and they have tremendous, like you said, equity. 4X equity, yeah, yeah. where they're like, yeah, I'm only getting 100, but I only paid 25. And <laughs> I could go to the market with this property if I got my tenants out and everything and bring it to market at, say, 135. But I have to get my tenants out, and I kind of like my tenants now, and I don't really want to kick them out. I don't want to be a bad guy. And then once they're out, in order to get that 135, I'm probably going to have to you know, paint or windows or sure. appliances or roof sure. or whatever and deal with all that. And then I got to do it 29 more times. And they're right. like, eh, you know, I don't want to do that. So they'll be like, we'll work out a deal with them. So that's, that's one situation. The other way they can exit is by – so there's the investor exit or the – kind of like not rehabbed exit, or if they really want to maximize value, their third exit plan is to go out, remove a tenant, fully rehab the home, bring it to full market ARV value and sell it, which is a really big lift. That is. And yeah. so I find that oftentimes um, they want to exit that way or always has been my experience so far. If that person passes and family inherits that portfolio, oh. they want nothing to do with it. No, never. They want the money. And so we found a lot of success in just going to those and going after those because oftentimes they're too small for the novice wholesaler. Yeah. They don't avatar out for the big boys, yeah, like the, the New Western. Like it's, it's just it's not what they're looking for. Sure. And so there's just not a lot of people who are like, hey, I'll buy your whole portfolio of whatever. Yeah. 30, 50, 80, 100 properties. Yeah. I will tell you, to your point, just jump in there. I, I, I will tell you, the wholesalers, uh, 
that I found are really poor at actually selling portfolios. Oh, it's very difficult. Yeah, it's extremely difficult, and they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, and it's it's they're in over their head because there's a, it's a lot, and uh, they actually it's it's interesting when that actually happens, and I don't know where your stance is on this, but uh, when a wholesaler brings me a portfolio, I'm like, hey, look, send me paperwork. I'll sign something that says you're going to get, you know, whatever, you know, we agree upon an Mm -hmm. amount. Yeah. But I need direct access to that seller Mm -hmm. because, and I'm, and man, I'm not doing that because I'm going to cut you out, not pay you. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to pay you, but you're going to do a lot less work. Yeah. I need it because the, it's, it's very difficult to get a deal. And I actually have never done it to where I had a middleman. In between, meaning a wholesale. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it just so many moving parts. So many. And, and so I have multiple referrals from well-known wholesalers that have let me talk to the seller mm. and that have gotten paid very yeah. well Yeah, because of that reason. Mm. But I, I just have to have access to that seller. I would absolutely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. It's like I've closed on some deals where I have not had access to the seller. Um a couple times. Like I had a 29 pack in Denison. I didn't have access to the seller on that we bought for, I want to say like 2.1 million and with no access to the seller. Luckily it worked out, but it was, it was mostly unoccupied. That's part of what helped it work out. Oh, that, that is so it was, I, yeah. so of the 29, I want to say roughly 15 were occupied, but oh. the, the, the occupancy factor on these portfolios is part of what makes them so difficult. It is. Because it's like, okay, so first of all, just imagine trying to see 29 homes, and let's just say you're trying to see them in a day or two, even two days. Yeah. If you make those appointments with all the tenants, I guarantee you with 30, all of them are not showing up. No, no. Like you are you are not getting into a portion of those homes, and the second day you can try and go back, you still probably won't get into a certain number of those homes. And that puts the the end buyer or whoever is going to actually be pushing the money out on this deal into a position of buying sight unseen. Which, you know, I've done and guys do. But when you do that, you've also got to discount the price even further because you're taking the level of risk. Sure. And it's just like it, these layers of complica- complication are why you have to have access to the seller. Yes. 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 Absolutely. It's, it's so difficult without yeah. it. I've only seen sight unseen actually happen in portfolios. And it's only because you get a pattern of what kind of work yep. the landlord has done mm-hmm. on the other ones. And so you can kind of make a little bit better offer do on that because of that reason of patterns. Hey, I've seen the 10 vacant, like you said. Yeah. So I, that's probably a trend moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to take the average CapEx or the rehab yep. in those 10 and kind of just apply it mm-hmm. to the rest. Oh, that's exactly yeah. how I underwrite them. Oh, okay. That's exactly okay. how I underwrite them. I <laughs> yeah. take basically, uh, I, once I've gotten eyes on a few of them, I take that price per square foot I'm figuring for rehab and apply it to all. Right. And that works pretty well. So if I'm at like 30 to $45 a square foot, if that's my average between the 10, then I'm going to take the high end of that, 45, and just apply it to everything. Yeah. And typically, yeah. like, it's never served me wrong at this point. And I've bought probably 20 portfolios at least now, probably more than that. That deal you're referring to where you said you weren't direct, is that because it was a wholesaler or was yeah. it an agent? Wholesaler. Wholesaler brought, uh, put the deal. I mean, I've seen a few that pop up on like a Facebook marketplace or flyer gets sent out or whatever. And 
Um, I always talk to the wholesalers when they've got a portfolio deal because they, I already know the likelihood of them getting that deal done is very low. Very low. It's That's very, very difficult, which then results in a very, very motivated seller, which results in a very good price. Right. So it's like this chain that I've noticed that happens that it's this beast that is very difficult to tame. And just by virtue of having done it dozens of times, I am not an expert at it, but I found a lot of success in it. Yeah. And I like it a lot. I like that that space a lot because you got this tired landlord usually who's just done. I'm actually working on apartment complex with that scenario same, right now. Same thing. Yeah, 52-unit yeah. apartment complex, seller is done. They live yeah. in California. They've lived in California for a very long time. The apartment complex is not well-maintained. They've owned it for 20-plus years. And it's at, I, I want to say, um, 29 of 52 units are occupied. So Wait, it's how many? 29 of 52. So oh, we're wow, at, that's you're at, really bad. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> that's, wow. that's exactly why I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> my gosh, yeah. So, yeah, so it's yeah. like when I see those, it's like, okay, I know your motivation is high. Yeah. And if I can, like, I'm, we're, we're, we're looking at trading around, I think, $80,000 a unit right now, which it's in Fort Worth. It's it's not at a bad area of Fort Worth. It's not a good area. It's a working class area of Fort Worth. Sure. And, like um, C. Was that yeah C class area C. C class apartment complex? But I think I could pretty easily turn it into a B class. Okay. And I think you know we're looking at buying it for around four, four million, just over four million. And I think all done up, it's probably worth seven and a half. Oh wow! Fixed up. So I'm well, like, that's fantastic. So like, I like yeah. those deals. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have to put probably five to a million into it. So I'll be all in. Call it five and change. There's still a couple million dollars sure. on, beat on the bone. Right. So it's like those 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 tired landlords, man. They and I know they got it for a song. I know that they're in great shape on it. Yeah. So it's like they are okay with saying, ah, okay, I'm not going to take that full. I don't need 100% of the value. I'm okay with 80% because I'm going to do so well on it anyways. Yeah. They, they they get that complacency thing going, and I like that. Yeah, that's cool. So Getting back to you buying single-family portfolios, uh, I would assume you have some kind of criteria not really. Oh, not really. Okay. So what I'm doing, what when yeah. I and when I'm going to underwrite a portfolio of homes, I just need the addresses. Yeah. Um, that's really, really all I want to start, and I'll I'll do from there. If they have the current rent as well, I'll take it. I don't take any other information: square feet, bed, bath count. I'll take what they have, but whatever they give me, um, I still take everything they have, and I'll, I'll put that in a spreadsheet. But then I'll build out my own spreadsheet of everything that's in tax. Because there's what they say and there's what tax says, sure. and I want to know if there's a difference there. Sure, sure. Because those are first; those are easy red flags to spot. And then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take that whole, all of those properties, and it's very easy to create like a, um, a Google map with the pins for every single property. So then I do that, and I I, I look at the map, and I want to see where there's clusters of pins. Because my experience has been so far with these um, portfolio owners is they typically cluster by. Sure. They're going to get an area and they're like, hey, I like this area. And they're going to buy more and more in that area. So rather than, uh, you know, I'll take those, let's say, let's say it's a 50 unit portfolio or a 50 property portfolio. Um, and let's say they have a group of eight in one area rather than do eight ARVs. I'll run the ARV sure, for sure. one, apply the price per square foot to all of them, assuming they're all relatively similar in size. And that way I'm, I'm speeding up my, my underwriting process. And then I'm also taking like, like, taking into account the year built, the square feet, because, you know, smaller square feet, you're typically going to be a little bit more per square foot to rehab than larger right. square feet and be a little less. And so I'm looking at all those things. And then I build out basically this spreadsheet that gives me out my, mm -hmm. 
max allowable offer for all of these based on a price per square foot rehab ratio, a whatever percent of ARV I'm willing to pay, and the ARVs that I've kind of ballparked together, I take all of that and that gives me a ballpark to start with. And that's where I go to my seller and I'm like, hey, is this what do you want for this whole portfolio? We, you know, we'll go through that conversation. And once I have an idea of a number that they want, if that's in line with my what I can max pay, then I'll deep dive and I'll individually do each one prior to a, a purchase. But I don't even really need to walk the properties at this point because I've just, I mean, like you, I'm sure. Yeah. I, you, you know more or less what it's going to take to get a property done without sure. seeing it. Sure, sure. Based on square footage, age. Square footage, yeah. age, location, mm-hmm. comps, what they look like. You know that you can. I'm not saying I can nail yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the rehab, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying I can be. I can be within a five to ten percent margin yeah. for sure yeah. every time now. So it's like okay, I'm close enough where, it, you know, let's say my for for fifty properties, I can pay four point two million, like just over eighty thousand dollars property, and let's say the seller wants ninety five thousand. Well, that's close enough that. Let's go. Let's talk. Let's see yeah. what we can do. Let's go yeah. visit the properties. Let's build the relationship and let's move forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's but it's very difficult to get into them. It's very difficult to access them. Yes. And so far I have yet to see a landlord that I'm impressed with from like a photo perspective where they have like, if you had 50 properties, you've got 50 drop boxes or drives or whatever with photos and the most recent photos. And every time you're in there, like if I had that, I don't need to see the properties, Yeah. frankly, like I don't even need to go, but I have never seen a, a sophisticated landlord who's got like, here's everything. Usually they, it's not super well managed. Like if I ask them for all the leases, like once we're in contract, I'll be like, hey, I need copies of all the leases, right? Yeah. Well, it's very rare for me to have a, a landlord who's like, oh yeah, here's a link to the drive with every right. single lease in there and they're all organized. And it's just, that's just not how most of these guys operate. Yeah, yeah. Which is why that there's there's meat in there. Because they're not sophisticated. It's it's very loosey-goosey. Well, yeah, because real estate is probably not their primary job. Yep. Yeah. Or, or More or, than likely, yeah. Or even if it was, I feel like the guy who's going to go out there and hustle to get 50 homes, he's a hustler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a, he's he's not a data guy yeah, who's yeah, going to, yeah. like, track everything. Sure. So yeah. it's like that that personality type isn't going to be the same either, so... Yeah, my the, experience so far. These funds are uh, not all of them, some of them, uh, and it'll probably catch on more as they're uh, uh, using companies like Inside Maps, mm-hmm. where they're getting a floor plan mm-hmm. and then also doing a virtual tour um, and then actually using the virtual tour to assess rehab. Uh. Yeah. And so it's a, it's interesting. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but it's, it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. Dude, so we yeah. we just started using an app on our that uses the lidar uh, the lidar tech that's on the on I, iPhones and iPads, and you can walk through a property with the iPad or your iPhone, and it will literally build out the property inside of uh, uh, inside of that app, so that you've got a full three D walkthrough, but you have measurements of everything. Oh. You have window measurements. You have your tile measurements. You have your cabinet measurements. Really. So you could you could theoretically if like let's say walking through a three bed two bath with that takes fifteen minutes, if if mm-hmm. w- once someone figures out how to attach AI to that, I think AI will be able to build your full scope and do it to the penny accurate. Uh, how how quickly is that done now? Uh, I could walk through a three two in fifteen minutes and have it. 
yeah. dialed. You're good. Yeah. Where and, and where I would where where would struggle right so I can get my floor plan from that it'll give me like a schematic yes, of the yes, floor plan, yes. but more importantly it can it knows where every tub toilet everything is and it shows me where it all is right now so I know where all my plumbing's at because ah, that's expensive to move around. That's pretty cool. And the, and yeah and then, but you can so I can view it as a like a bird's eye floor plan. I can also like go into it and see the full three D of everything inside so, of. Inside of it. So if there was AI attached to that, I'm pretty sure AI could be like, well, you have this many square feet of tile, and we know that tile cost is this and install cost is this, so here's your labor and material costs to redo your tub surround, for example. Yeah. It, it's not difficult. Yeah. If if you can, yeah, that construction is, uh, if you can make that process easier, that's a huge value. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a that doing that in volume is a is a bitch. <laughs> I mean, no one's no one's yeah. really nailed it. Like the, yeah. I, I would say the the company that's come the closest to nailing it would be the ones you've mentioned: American Homes for Rent, Invitation yeah. Homes, Progress. Like, they're like Open Door and Zillow came out trying to do it, and it didn't go great. No, it, well, it, what, <laughs> rehabbing at scale is tough. It, it, well, what's funny is if you ask them what their weakest point was. They they would probably tell you that construction yeah construction it, it's so it's so difficult yeah even guys that volume. come in as contractors mm-hmm. and come into this business and want to do it even I don't know if they admit it all the time but it's it is still probably the most difficult part of the whole thing yeah finding deals and selling deals is not tough the construction component is the toughest yeah and it's where you stand to lose the most the most risk there's just yes a yeah lot larger rehab yeah. that's why. Most funds are, you know, want to keep that down below thirty grand. Yeah. In total, but yeah, and there are some out there that will take more. But yeah, it's just because of the risk. So much risk, yeah. and then doing it at scale is just this. You have to figure out how to make high paid decisions on the front lines with rehabs. It's like right. these these decisions that are high level take a lot of like thought and like what is the value of this decision? It might only be a thousand dollars cost, but will that produce on the back end of the home? And that knowledge typically is not something that a construction worker is going to have. No. So how does that, how does that decision to do that? How does that get surfaced up to a higher up where they can be making those decisions or how do you train the construction person to make those decisions? And I don't think anyone's found the answer to that yet. Yeah. It's like you walk through rehabs that are being done at scale and you're going to be like, this looks pretty good, except for that. I don't know what they were thinking there, you know? Yeah. And then, um, or you can be like, wow, this home's way over rehabbed. This is way too nice of a home for the area. I've seen both sides from yes. some of these guys, and it's just not a great solution. No, there's not. Today. Yeah, so Look yeah, if, if you can figure that out, you're yep. you're on to something. You see those Tesla robots and AI together, they'll figure <laughs> it out. Uh, that's, yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's I don't know how that's going to get solved, but I feel like there's so much value there that someone will solve it and when they do they're gonna make a lot of money yes yes i mean i feel like personally the rate that we that rehabbing and remodeling is happening at is lagging behind the number of homes we have so basically homes as a whole are consistently falling further into dilapidation over time what i mean by that is like the rate that Flipping and remodeling is happening. So remodeling is from a homeowner and flipping is from investors. The rate that that's happening at is not, 
faster than dilapidation is oh. occurring. Okay. And so That's I think homes are slowly getting in worse and worse shape is my opinion. I don't have data to back that up, but just as I've been seeing things over the years, like I don't think it's going, and I don't, I don't think it's going to speed up either. Like, well, there's less construction workers coming into the field. Yeah. So as that gets crunched more, that's going to result in even less construction happening on homes, which results in even more dilapidation. So I think the need for investors and flippers is going to start going up too. With the yeah. baby boomers shifting out. I think there's a lot of interesting things happening right now. Yeah. Well, that's creates opportunity when because you're being buying as yep. is. Yeah. Yep. And there's, I mean, I feel like the end buyer. I feel like 20 years ago, an end buyer is like, oh, I'm going to go buy a fixer-upper. And that was okay. And that was something people did. I feel like that's way less acceptable now. Like, at least from what I see, like from buyers, even in the lower ends, they want they want finished homes. I don't disagree. I wonder what, what why that would be. Well, yeah. I mean, back in like the 30s and 40s, 50s, you could order a home from Sears and just build it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Could you imagine doing that? Yeah. Some some twenty six year old gets a home today, and he's got to build it. Yeah, I don't oh, think that gosh. would go great. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> so I have to work. Yeah, so I think I think the handyman, <laughs> like the the handiness of people, has oh, gone down. Oh well, that's and so sure. so if that's happening, I think that's part of where that's linking into all this. Yeah, is my guess. I, but I agree. Well, it's 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 people saying that. Hey, I'm worth X hourly. I could contract this work for yep. half, half, mm-hmm. half X. Yep. To do it better than I could. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, now that whether they're doing it or not, I don't know is actually happening. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, overall, I feel like the investment market because of all of those things like people are less able to fix their own stuff there's less desire to fix their own stuff i feel like that's providing more fuel to the investment market as well like these homes are in bad shape once they're in bad shape they can't sell them easily on the market or if they do the buyer's an investor or if they go through another channel they end up selling to an investor the investors are tending to be more often the ones fixing these homes now or bulldozing them and building new ones but Yeah. It's just uh, it's less less the mom and pop fixing up our own spot. And that used to be like a thing. Like right. When I was a kid, my parents bought a home and fixed it up. Yeah, that was a normal thing. Like we didn't like it when we bought it, but it's like ah, it's okay. We'll spend the next five years fixing it up. You know, weekend stuff, and we did. Right. But I don't feel like that's like a thing anymore. Yeah. No. No, it's not. People just want a home that's ready to go, and they'd rather just pay the loan than that's the fast food. Yeah. Mentality. Yeah, they want that instant gratification. Hundred yeah. percent. So how long have you been buying uh, portfolios? Uh, about my, f- I remember taking my first shot at one in 2016, okay. 2015, 2016. And it was six condos over in Richardson. There's like, uh, I don't know, it's like on Abrams and stuff. There's like some condo areas over there that are okay very neglected. <laughs> yeah. So very rough condos. And it was five condos. They wanted $105,000. And I was trying to wholesale them. And each? No, total. Oh, total. So this was back oh. in 2015, 2016. Oh, okay. yeah. So I was trying to sell them, and that's where I, I really just got schooled. Like, I found out how hard it was. Because I had five I had five condos, four were occupied, one was vacant. And I got buyers to come out and see them, but I could never get all the tenants to be there <laughs> at the same time to show the buyers. Right. So the buyers could always see the vacant one, but they couldn't see the 
others, or if they did, they saw one or two of the others rather than all five. And so they wanted deeper discounts and it just yeah. couldn't make it happen. Yeah. And I, I'll remember that forever because it taught me that lesson of like, dude, if you want to make this work, like you gotta, you gotta be ready and prepared to go into it. So like some of the things that I would do now is if I was going to go in and if I was re- if I was doing that same thing, I would go morning, evening, whenever I had to, to get access to all five. And when I got access, I'd do a full video walkthrough. I would map out the, or lay or draw out the layout of them, full video walkthrough, 50 photos. And these are small, one bedroom, one bath condos, but I would have photos from every angle now so that if I couldn't get an investor in, I could give them all of that. Sure. sure. Especially with condos, yeah. you're not worrying about exterior. It's just the interior. No, right. And yeah. those photos should give you enough information to make your own repair budgets and whatever you need pretty well where you could get it done. So that's what I would do now. At that time, I didn't figure it out and ended up having to cancel. Oh, you did cancel. That. I ended up can- yeah. I, I was trying to buy it, but I didn't I couldn't come up with twenty grand uh, that I thought I needed to hold it at the time either. And I, I didn't have the money of the business holding them. So I ended up losing it. Wholesaling condos is just very difficult. Just wholesaling condos yeah. is its own difficulty. And yeah. wholesaling a portfolio of condos is just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, once yeah. I saw just that happen yeah. and those problems, I was like, yeah. well, I think I can solve most of these by doing just what I said. Like yeah. if I was able to provide enough information that they knew the rehab and I have the leases and I have every, like I have my ducks in a row, I think I can sell these. And so then I, like the next one that came along was. There was a package of four homes in McKinney that we ended up taking down and flipping all of them. We made over 100000 a house oh, that wow. I did in 2016, uh, 2017. But there was another one in 2016 or 2017 that was 16 townhomes in a row in Grand Prairie. And it was very difficult. In to, a row? It, yeah. So it was like a, there was a row of, I think, 18, and they owned 16 of the 18. And I, I want to say that they had developed them or uh, bought them directly from the developer or something. Surely. But this was developed back in like the 80s. And uh, the management, again, going back to the management of these landlords that uh, weren't good, was atrocious. Like this is this is the first time where I went into homes and I saw two of the units um, were used as like dog fighting units. Oh. So they had ca- stacks of kennels on top of each other where the it was like three kennels high, four kennels high. So the dog on top would pee or poop and it would get all over all of the dogs and they were just locked in these things so i saw that there another couple of the units were used for human trafficking where there was like six deadbolts on the doors and there were people locked in the rooms i couldn't go in the rooms like serious crimes going on at these places oh wow so these these were rough and um we ended up buying and wholesale we didn't close on and we i think we double closed on those we ended up selling them and i want to say we ended up making like $15,000 $15,000 a door across the 16 doors. I mean, yeah. we, we did very well, but it was a beast dealing with getting them out. Oh yeah. It was rough. Did they buy, you bought them with them in? I think we got there. There were some of them. We were like, look, we can't buy it with these people in here. So some of like the ones where there was human trafficking or dog. And I think one of them was cockfighting too, where they had like a thousand chickens, yeah. but like it was, it was, and these were, these were in, these were in townhomes with tiny backyards. I mean, the backyards couldn't have been bigger than my office and they had just an immense amount of animals in, in a couple of these. And it was, uh, I think those ones where it was clear that it's like illegal activities happening here. Um, we're like, look, those tenants have to go, but yeah. we did buy with some tenants in and the, uh, we wholesaled it, and the end buyer, um, he was basically, he ended up 
getting everyone out, redoing all of them. And that area was the worst part of that neighborhood in Grand Prairie, and now it's one of the better parts. Oh, wow. So it ended up working out really well. But um, once we did that one, I think we made a couple hundred grand on that. And there was another one that we sold to Austin Good that was we, we bought a whole cul-de-sac. It was 14 properties and, or 14 duplexes, and we sold them all, and we made half a million in one rip to him. And he still was able to cash flow them. And so it's like, you know, I did, I did that in 2017, started getting my feet wet and I was like, this is legit. (laughs) Not a lot of people want to dabble in this area and it's hard and tricky and nuanced and difficult. But once you kind of figure out what to do, you can, you can, you know, navigate it well. Yeah. Well, that's the key. Everybody needs a niche, right? Yeah. 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 So that's, that's one of the niches I've really enjoyed. And most of them have just come from just through marketing and uh, I got one, but I I really have 15. I want to sell them all. It's like, Oh, great. Yeah. That's how most of them have come up. And now I'm actually starting to market directly to them. I've created lists of people who own multiple properties and I'm just marketing straight to them. Like we'll buy your whole portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. That's the success on why we've done pretty well with portfolios is because, well, you, you don't have any issues because you're, you don't have any criteria, but the way we're successful is we would bring, say a, a fund only buys 1980 and newer. Um, and so we would, you know, we'd have, you know, only half were, you know, 1980 and newer or whatever. We'll bring multiple funds to the same closing timeline. Mm, and smart. So, yeah. So, and then if it's just real obscure, we'll just close on it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we may have four or five different par- parties to, uh, you know, 20 home portfolio. Yeah. Um, and so the reason they're doing that is because we're giving them absolute highest price per. Yeah. Yep. And so then, you know, like you said, there might be just some weird stuff there mm-hmm. left over that we would just then just take down ourselves. Yep. So, yep. Um, yeah. There's, you know, it's kind of raising around that. You don't, obviously you don't have that issue, but no, but I've done know. the same thing where yeah. I've wholesold some and kept some, um, you know, it just, it really depends where I've got, I've got a seller who's like, have to take them all it's fine i've got a buyer who's like take this chunk and you get these leftovers in there it's like you know you're 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 buying by the case selling by the bottle but it's not like you're buying a case of coke you're buying a case of assorted sodas (laughs) (laughs) and not everybody wants some of the weird sodas so it's like oh i guess i gotta take this one and figure out what to do with it there is a buyer out there for it but you've got to typically take that to the full market of the mls yeah yeah. let someone take it down so Right. Yeah, man. I love the I love the portfolio game. And I yeah. think that portfolio game is going to get stronger because every single one I've ever bought is owned by someone from like the boomer generation or the greatest generation. I've never bought a portfolio from anybody younger than 60. Oh, you haven't? Not really. I don't think. I mean, I've probably someone in their late 50s, maybe. But like, it's not like I'm buying them from 30 year olds, you know? So yeah. it's like... Yeah. Yeah, it's these older individuals that have have not done typically a very good job of management, and I feel like there's a lot more of those coming into retirement every like what ten thousand boomers retire a day right now. Oh wow! So it's like okay, yeah. if they're going out at that clip, like how many of these are property owners? A lot of them. How many of them own small portfolios? A fair amount enough yeah. that it's like, you know, they need an out, and we can provide that out for them and. Buy them by the case, sell them by the bottle. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to go to uh, real estate brokers who specialize in uh, apartments. 
and the reason I say that is because, um, you know, kind of the evolution that most people think is like, Hey, I have this 10 home portfolio. Um, now I need to take the next step to apartments. Mm. And so a real estate broker that's selling those apartments will wind up with these people who have, you know, buyers that have these 10 port, you know, yeah. because they'll be like, how are you going to pay for this? And they're like, well, I'm going to sell these 10 homes to pay for that apartment. Mm-hmm. And so the real estate broker that buys the apartment typically doesn't know how to shake. Yeah. Shake those 10 homes because that's not his niche. <laughs> So that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious from your perspective, what's the best way for me to go and meet a bunch of multifamily brokers? How do I, how do I find them? Golly. I mean, I I just started (laughs) Googling them on the internet and just being like, uh, look at listings on like LoopNet and stuff and find who's listed them and call them. Give me, give me as, yeah. Search, uh, real estate apartment broker or whatever. and Go after them. I think that'd be a interesting yeah, no, that's actually so. Yeah. In 2017, mm-hmm. I sort of partnered with a shop that was they were so they were commercial, they were apartment brokers, and they were so smart in their approach. They would market to so they would they would go and find apartment deals and they'd syndicate the deals in order to bring the syndication funds to the table, like the, uh, the syndicator's money. They would market to multi-property owners, so like portfolio owners, and they would get them to sell them their whole portfolio and 1031 the money into their syndication. Oh, and they would yeah. take that portfolio of property, hand it to me, and I'd wholesale it out. Oh yeah, that's that's. It was cool. a good. It was a good little, yeah. good little uh, thing we had going for like a year there. Yeah, have you seen these funds that are trying to target, you know, people who are retiring and want to sell their portfolio, but they want to avoid capital gains, so they're saying, "Hey, look, we'll." sell us your portfolio. We'll give you 3 million, but we'll put this into your 3 million tra- in shares, 3 million in shares. 721 exchange. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you have seen this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was introduced to that by a REIT called uh, peak REIT in 2020, where they explained the 721 exchange model to me. And I was like, that's brilliant. And they were started crushing it. And now they're going out of business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It, the the, the yeah. issue wasn't that strategy. The issue was that they started buying in 2020. And when every when the music stops in 2022, they just were, got over their skis. Yeah, yeah. Like it yeah. wasn't, it had yeah. nothing to do with the strategy. But that strategy is valid. And we actually um, did that. Uh, oh, you did? So I did that with all of my property uh, when I... When I formed this new entity, uh, we 721 all the property into it so we didn't create a taxable event. Right. Because, you know, it was tens of millions of dollars of property. If you shove all that in or sell it all to another entity that's like with someone else, you're creating a taxable event and you're going to pay cap gains. That's right. So we 721 did in instead and uh, worked well. Yeah, nice. So it's, uh, no, it's a great strategy. I have never found a way to use it to buy property yet, but I want to. Yeah. I, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. But yeah, that's a that's a actually a unique one that I've never heard anybody talk about. So I'm very impressed that you know about it. Yeah, that's a, a, a company called Flock does that. Flock. Well. Yeah. Okay. They're we'll still doing that. Yeah, you might. So they are buying portfolios and offering equity in their company or in a deal of yes. some sort. Yes. That's smart. Yes. Yep. I think it's such a good way to because like. Your, your number one enemy when you're selling a portfolio is capital gains, man. They will destroy oh, yes. you. 
Yeah. It's even if it's only fifteen percent. I mean, fifteen percent on a million is still one hundred fifty grand. Yeah. Ten million is still one point five million. Like, yeah. who wants to get that that hit? Yeah, that's it's a big one. And when you're selling yeah. the portfolio and you're not, you can't ten thirty one into anything, so you can't exchange it into anything to to defer those taxes. I mean, and most people, they just want that cash flow. They don't want to deal with the property. Sure, more. sure. Yes. So one of the ways that I've helped overcome that is seller finance media portfolio. And you then know? they get, yes. And then it's like they don't have to deal with anything, and they get mailbox money. Yes. Right. So that's a great way to overcome that without the 721 side. But You're some right. of them don't want. They don't even want they, that. They don't even want that. Yeah. They just want, they're like, well, I just want my money in some safe investment. And when you can sell, well, hey, you're not going to pay capital gains. It's a pretty good looking investment at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 a cool. Everybody's got their niche. Everyone does. Yeah. Well, man, I very much appreciate you coming out today. I think that uh, what you've done and how you found your niche is fascinating, yeah. and I love it. I love like because I feel like you play in this. It's like we play on the same playground, but like you play with the big kids over there, <laughs> <laughs> and I play with the, the little kids over here. And it's like oh, that guy's cool. He always plays with the big kids. Because like these funds, they just do these things that it's like, man, that's so smart. Like, how do I do that? And like try and figure out ways to put it together. So it's really cool, man. Yeah, it is. It's we've enjoyed it. We've had a good time, good run, and and we just keep going. So, so I appreciate you having me. Yeah. <laughs>